Hi everybody, this is Corey Harrington and welcome to Flip Connect. This is episode three coming to you live from San Antonio, Texas. Unscripted real estate investment advice, mentorship, and um, opportunities are what we aim to do uh, in our business here. And our mission is to inspire you to create real estate investment and funding opportunities through proven and actionable education and mentorship. At Flip Connect, we intend to connect you with joint venture partners, private funding, and guidance by active professionals who share real-world experiences, case studies, and easy-to-implement strategies intended for long-term successful real estate investing. This is uh, brand new to us, and uh, currently I am the professional. I will bring more people on board. I do have 17 years of real estate investing experiences, and in this episode... We're going to talk about my third investment property. I bought this probably in 2006 or 2000, early, early 2007. I don't, I don't recall at the moment, but um, this, this, this would be my third property as an investment, fourth property total. So I have one home and three houses at this time, and uh, I'm going to go go through, you know, my experience with this one. And uh, contrast it with everything else that I've done to date at that point in time, 12, 13, 14 years ago. And um, so this one, this one will be interesting. You know, this is, uh, I was working full time. I was still with uh, Edward Jones as a stockbroker. And um, I decided to get into Houston uh, area and, uh, you know, I was looking around. I was looking at various different markets in Texas, and I just wanted to diversify my portfolio. So if you recall in the previous episodes, I had property in Southern California, and then I bought another one in, in the Bay Area in Northern California. Uh, the first one was my home. I turned it into a, a rental property and moved on and uh, relocated and got a new job and, and bought my primary residence and then invested in Idaho on a property in Meridian, and then bought a property that I'm going to talk to you about today in um, in Houston area. And this one was uh, a Section 8, or rather a HUD home sales, a foreclosure. It was uh, a modular home, and it was in um, Magnolia? I think it was Magnolia. I'm sorry, guys. It's been such a long time, and uh, I, I should probably pull up my information on this um but uh, i'm just just giving you my recollection that what i'm trying to do with these first couple of episodes is just introduce you to what you know what my frame of mind was at that time and and, and how i was looking at these deals uh, from the perspective of a non-professional the novice real estate investor with with no formal training or mentorship or education so you know it was a, it was a slow process i built I built up my portfolio of four properties over a three-year period during my full-time career, straight out of college. And um, you know, we we were married and uh, still married to the same woman. And uh, we were married uh, probably well, we were married in two thousand. So that was probably two th- two three years of marriage before um, we decided to invest in real estate and I've always wanted to I, you know my family's been involved with it in some of my past episodes you would see 
and know about that. But uh, you know, this was this was something that uh, I've always had an interest in um, ever since my family started investing, and so this was this was an opportunity for us to uh, at the time to you know build up our our retirement fund, build up, have some kind of quasi passive investment um, opportunities. In addition, I was investing actively in the stock market. I was investing in the stock market since about 2016 or oh, 2000 rather 1996. Uh, I first started investing. My brother, Sean, he's the one that introduced me to it and and I became really interested. I saw how well he was doing in the market and he was buying a lot. He was very tech heavy at that time. This was pre-tech bubble. But uh, at that at that point, you know, I wanted to take more control, have active um, decision making process, and 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 have a tangible asset in addition to the intangibles of of owning stocks in in large companies that I have zero control over. So it was it was a nice balance. But uh, yeah, so I was I was looking at other opportunities. Living in the Bay Area, there's minimal opportunity to you can't so you spend. Seven hundred fifty thousand dollars on a on a property that you can rent for twenty eight hundred dollars a month, and it just doesn't it just doesn't factor in between your uh, your principal interest tax insurance maintenance upkeep turnovers of of renters, um, you know major repairs, and and everything else, uh, including the interest and taxes. That's uh, it's not a very good profit for the amount of expense you have out. So I've always looked outward. You know, it doesn't have to be the Bay Area. It could be Sacramento. It could be other areas nearby, Stockton, Modesto, these, these places. But, you know, I had a greater interest in other markets where there were other advantages, where there's houses that were a quarter of the price that, that you would see in, in uh, the Bay Area or northern california overall and still have a good return have a decent rental price point and although in texas the taxes are are higher there there are things you need to factor in um in your price point to determine if that's going to be a positive cash flow for you or not but at this point i was just looking for advice i was looking for people to provide the information I needed to make good decisions. I would I would read a few things. I would do some research on the internet. I would talk with other investors. I talk with my family. I would, you know, get as much research as I could. But you know, nine to five, I'm I'm working as a, as a stockbroker. Nine to five, I'm researching the markets. I'm talking with investors. I'm knocking on doors. I'm I'm dealing with you know management and logistics everything else of, of my day-to-day career, commuting, dealing with family life and everything else. So I didn't have a lot of time to educate myself fully and completely. So I did depend on the knowledge and experience of others to, to help me out. And, and, and that worked out pretty well. They weren't killer deals. They were pretty decent deals, but you can find better deals on your own. If you're fully trained up and you know what you're doing, you can, you can do very well. But you can also do very well talking with professionals. So that's what I did with the, with the with the property out there in, in Houston. So what I decided to do is um, interview a couple of different agents, and I flew out and I looked. I talked with a few people. I 
I, I had a, a driving tour with a, with a couple agents. I can't recall their names at this point. And we drove around the Houston area. We drove around, um, uh, you know, um, Magnolia and everywhere else around there. And uh, looked at new builds, looked at existing homes. Everything was on MLS or a developer's inventory. So we weren't finding like the sweet spot, the pocket listings, the, the, the unlisted deals, the, the good stuff. That's the only stuff I buy now. But we weren't looking at those and I didn't have access to those. And, and that's, that's, those are the deals that the agents would send to their, to their uh, top clients, the serious investors that they know they're going to fund and close. A lot of guys that have cash or access to capital that didn't require um, going through traditional banks. Um, that uh, could meet them any time, day or night, and make the deal happen. That um, do, do, those are the people that get the really good deals. That wasn't me at the time. Um, I had all the credibility of any passive investor out there that was actively looking to invest. I was as attractive as, as anyone there is um, for the retail side of things for the traditional agents with a few investment opportunities or new developments that were priced comparable to the market that were edging towards appreciation, forced appreciation through um, an inefficiency in price point over repairs needed, like new builds. So the idea at the time was you buy a property that's Listed for sale at a hundred thousand dollars this time next year, it's worth one twenty. Um, you get some incentives and discounts from the agents, from the developer, and you combine those, and so you're buying this hundred thousand dollar place for maybe ninety five, and a year from now it's worth one twenty, one twenty five. Your total PITI, let's say, is a thousand, and you can rent it for twelve hundred. So you're making two hundred dollars a month of positive cash flow. You have theoretically $30,000 in, 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 in gross equity. And, you know, that's not bad, actually. That's a that's a decent little deal. Uh, you, you're not looking into major renovation at that point. You're not looking at um, really high expenses. HOAs in, in California as compared to HOAs in Texas were night and day. So when they said, hey, it's $500 for the HOA, I thought, dang, that's expensive, $500 a month. Because everything else was... Two hundred, three hundred dollars a month in in the Southern California area where I was um, living, you know, initially when I got my first property, and and I was expecting, you know, it, it to be a monthly basis, but no, 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 that's the whole year. So that's great. Like, wow, it's very inexpensive, and a beautiful HOA setup. You know, beautiful amenities that are provided by by the HOA. Really nice um, clubhouse. Really nice pool. Multiple hot tubs. Gym. Everything else. Great. Beautiful landscaping. I was pretty impressed, but I couldn't pull the trigger on those deals. It, it just, it just, it just wasn't. I knew, you know, I, I really wanted to find the deep discounts. I knew all about the equity spread. You know, buy it at seventy cents on the dollar, minus renovations. But good luck finding those deals. Good luck finding the actual number deals lining up with your projections. You know, you're looking at properties that they're advertising for seventy cents on the dollar. They really are not. And so, good luck finding those. So this one, mm, decent, but didn't hit the number I was really looking for. Didn't quite trust the pro forma, the future projections. Didn't want to buy something based on 
based on a future unknown. I've never been that um, never been that optimistic. So that's something I wasn't going to do. So that that turned out to be a no go for me. A little bit later on, I met somebody, Lisa Bradley. I remember her name, and uh, she's a broker now. I think she's still active, and uh, she was eh, a couple years older than me at the time. So I, I know she's still out there, probably investing. I I might need to contact her and see if I can get her on a podcast in the future. But uh, anyway, I met her, and uh, she showed me foreclosures. I said, what kind of good deals do you have that are on the market? I mean, if you have any off-market deals, let me know. And she didn't have any off-market deals, or at least none that she would offer to me um, that aren't already taken. But uh, she did have a list of all these foreclosures. And, you know, her her dad um, was active in the foreclosure market, and he was always looking. And so, okay, there's a lot of people that are interested in the foreclosure market. It's popular. You see all kinds of uh, trainings and and programs out there for getting involved uh, at the at the courthouse steps. I, other than this property, I've never bought another foreclosure property. I've bought pre-foreclosures, quite a few. But to go out to the courthouse and bid, uh, that's not my thing. With this Section 8 foreclosure process back then, the limited amount that I both recall and know from, from, from the past, we're talking you know, 10 plus years, is that um, these properties were, 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 were made available and, and there are certain ones that were modular homes that were um, sold with property, uh, the, the improvements and the land. And um, however, when it goes through the foreclosure process, it becomes considered, it, it became, it was considered a single family dwelling at that point. They were affixed to the ground. They, they had foundations underneath them. There were no wheels. And um, when it gets uh, taken back by the government, it gets reclassified, I guess you can say, to a uh, single family dwelling. And so for financing purposes, I was able to get a traditional loan and, and, and go through that process. Now, um, as you may know with history on this one, I actually paid cash, but I used equity from, from another property to do that. And, uh, but I, I could have gone through and, and obtained a traditional loan through this process. Um, I could have bought it and then refinanced it into a traditional loan, but I, I decided at that point not to refinance it. Um, although in hindsight, I probably would. So at any rate, I bought the house for $71,000 and I kept it for... Let's see, six, probably kept it for about five years and it did, it did pretty well for me. I had the same tenant throughout the whole process and later on I used it as a portion of a down payment for another home that I was going to live in, in San Antonio. So I, I sold it to an investor as part of a down payment, uh, rather I sold it to a homeowner who owned a house free and clear. And, and, and I resided in that house for quite a long time. I'll go through that property as well downstream. It'll be one of my case studies. But uh, but that property I lived in from 2011 to 2018. And uh, it was a really nice house, you know. Three, 390000 389000 is how much I ended up having as a first lien 
uh, was an interest rate of 3.4%. And that was uh, seller financed, 100% seller financed. I put this property in Magnolia that I bought um, in 2006, 2007, as well as another property I bought in Cibolo, Texas, that I bought, I think, maybe 2010. And uh, I traded both of those as an equivalent equity exchange, as equivalent to down payment um, to to make the deal happen. So I ended up buying a house from from a private owner that owned the house free and clear for 420000 and contributed equity on both that $71,000 property and the Cibolo property, which I, I had a loan on. So I had a little bit of equity in that Cibolo property, and I had 100% equity in, in in the Magnolia property. And I combined, I made them, I, I believe I priced it at 70 cents on the dollar when I made the trade with him in exchange for the equity of both of those houses, basically giving him the, the deed to one, free and clear, and then um, doing a loan transfer, a um, assumption of loan, on another property which I bought well below market and made renovations on and had um, people move in and actually sold the property, actually um, not sold it to them, but set up a um, a, a long-term uh, lease-to-own program with them where I put money into, they put money into an escrow account and paid rent as well. So they had one payment was rent, the other payment was towards this equity accumulation. And so when I when I passed both of those properties off, they, well, anyway, you know what? I will go into that later on. I realize I'm, I'm stepping ahead. Um, let me get back to the Magnolia property. So with this Magnolia property, I bought it, sight unseen, I, I again, Another sight unseen deal. Most, I'm sure a lot of people are probably going to doing these things, but I did trust my agent. And, uh, you know, she had a vested interest in a fiduciary responsibility and, you know, long-term business opportunity with me, although this was the only deal, one and only deal I did with her. But um, just, it just, it's happenstance. It just so happened to be that this was the only deal I did with her. However, um, you know, I, I did trust her. So I bought this property while I was on vacation in Panama, I, I had really sketchy internet. I was staying down in an eco-resort that my family owns. Uh, my dad and my mother-in-law own, own this eco-resort. It was an Airbnb type of deal uh, down in Bocas del Toro, Panama. And uh, so I'm, I'm out there with my brother and his wife and myself and my wife. And uh, my son stayed home. You know, he was 18 months old at the time, I believe. And uh, so, you know, we were out there and... Um, I had a bid point, and I didn't want to go past that price point um, of seventy-one thousand, and uh, ended up winning. So it was great. It was cool. It was really cool. So I bought the place. It was appraised, I believe, at one twenty, one thirty. Um, but the best thing is, I didn't, I didn't have to do any improvements. The person that in this situation it was similar to to the Idaho property I talked about in a previous episode. Um, that person was, mm, you know what? No, that person was not. She she was lined up, or she was renting from the owner. I, you know what? I don't really remember, but Lisa set this up, so I, I had a tenant from day one. Is the point? 
and uh, there were some minor improvements I had to do. I think we had to fix the skirting around the the, the you know the foundation and uh, a couple other things. I think maybe I spent a couple grand doing that. And that was it. And so I was collecting rent. I was paying property management fee to Lisa. I didn't have to mess with that one at all. She handled it 100%. And um, that that you know that turned out that turned out pretty well for me. So that's it. You know that's 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 uh, that's what I did. Those that's how I got started. That was my first couple of years. And from here forward, uh, I made the transition into professional real estate investor. And th- th- I will talk a lot about this transition. And uh, hopefully this is this is useful for you. It's a story, my story, so you really understand how somebody can make this transition. And you know, this is this is my story. This is my experience, and I'd love to hear your experiences. So, give me give me some comments on this. And let me know how how you what you went through or what you're thinking about going through. And you know, we'll we'll, uh, we'll kick around some ideas and see where we can go with it. But uh, in the meantime. Um, this is Corey Harrington with Flip Connect, and hopefully this was helpful, and I'll see you on the next episode. Next episode, honestly, I hadn't thought about it until this moment. The next episode probably should be focused on on my education, my um, real estate investment training. When I decided to make the move to ultimately get out of working for people full-time there's there's a little bit of self-sabotage in there there's a little bit of mistakes a little bit of arrogance there's a little bit there's a lot of 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 things that i i did along the way that uh, i've i've learned greatly from and uh and I'll, i'll share those with you you know my my exit from edward jones um my transition into this full-time position or rather from full-time employment to being a independent investment entrepreneur and the partnerships I gained along the way. So we'll talk about that in probably multiple episodes coming up. Once again, Corey Harrington, Flip Connect. Hope this was helpful for you. Talk to you next week.